The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. series no matter what. Hey church, would you help me welcome all those that are watching online with us right now? Just a reminder, because I know we weren't assembled together last week, but just a reminder, let's be amen and let's be taking notes. Let's be involved this morning, all right? We're note takers because we're going to be history makers. You got a history of bad marriages in your family, man. Get your notes out, start taking notes because we're going to change that history. But we're in a series right now called No Matter What, and we're talking about marriage, we're talking about relationships, and we're talking about how to improve those those things and how to do those biblically. We've laid a lot of foundation in the first couple weeks. We talked about why, why God created marriage, what marriage is supposed to look like, how we express this agape love that God's called us to express in our marriages. Uh, if you missed either of those first two weeks, make sure you go back and look at those and listen to those. But today we're going to talk about expectations. Turn, touch somebody beside you say expectation. expectations. Expectations are a big deal. And so we kind of want to set the expectation for you this morning, okay? A couple of things you can expect to take place today. Number one is we're going to help you have an understanding of biblical expectations for a husband and for a wife in marriage. Also, what God expects of you as a husband and as a wife in marriage. But we're also, at the end, we're going to talk about some unbiblical expectations that sometimes we bring into marriages that cause us to have some, some undue pressure, that cause a lot of problems, that cause a lot of fights, that cause a lot of issues, so we're going to look at expectations today. You guys have a good Valentine's Day? Yeah. You know, Valentine's Day is interesting because while it marks this day of the year that's a kind of a celebration of love and relationships and connections and marriages, uh, it's also a day that marks a lot of relationships coming to an end. In fact, the days after Valentine's Day, more divorces are filed in the, the, the couple of days after Valentine's Day than any other time of the year. And of the divorces that are filed, 80%, 80%, 8 out of 10, 80% are filed by the wife. Why is this? Well, I believe it's because of expectation. So here's the thing. You know, holidays are kind of like a magnifier. They magnify and they highlight the good, but they also magnify and highlight the bad. If things are good in your life at Christmas or on Valentine's Day, if your relationship's good, man, it's, it's magnified, it's highlighted. But if things aren't going so good, that part of it becomes highlighted and magnified. Right. We actually know a couple that this happened to, the, that their marriage was struggling. It was not a great situation, but the wife is still holding out hope. She is expecting some great act of romance on Valentine's Day, that her lazy husband is going to come and sweep her off of her feet. He is going to be this knight in shining armor that she married 10 years ago, but the 14th comes and the 14th goes, and all she got was some gas station flowers and a peck on the cheek, and that peck is the peck that broke the camel's back. Yeah. Expectations play a huge role in our relationship. Yeah, expectations matter in marriage. And so today we're calling this message Expectation Versus Reality. And we want to help you have a better understanding of expectation and reality and biblical expectation. And it's interesting, if you actually uh, look up expectation versus reality, you Google this, you're going to find there's some interesting memes that people have created that are pretty funny. And so we thought we'd share a few of those with you as we get started this morning. So guys, would you throw that first one up there? Expectation versus reality. Anybody in here, you've ever done the kiss in the rain? Any kiss in the rain people in here? Courtney, you've done a kiss in the rain, but Justin didn't raise his hand, so that's interesting. 
We need to just do it sometime. When it's raining, just go out there and just make out in the rain. <laughs> or we could just do this other side of it. You just and get watch the, pop- the popcorn. Yeah, we'll just watch somebody else do it and eat popcorn. <laughs> okay, go to the next one. You ever done any home? This is... I remember when we first, we first got our first house. <laughs> we got our first house, and I thought... Sarah was like, I'm going to help you. I'm going to paint, and... She put on like an outfit to come paint in and I'm painting away or working away and all of a sudden she gone. She gone. Expectation versus reality. Go to the next one, guys. <laughs> I, think, I think people who have kids can relate to this one a little bit more. Babe, just grab us a couple Whoppers. What is that? Chicken burger? Chicken burger is what it says. I don't know what country that was taken in, but here's another one that... Some of you may have experienced. (laughs) That was a pre-marriage expectation I had. Like, yeah, baths? Woo! No, no. And then here's the next one. This is the last one. And, uh... Did we cross a line? I don't, I don't know. He questioned that one. I was like, no, they'll think it's funny. Put yeah. it in. Put it in. <laughs> so expectations, they play a big role in our relationship, which is why we're going to talk about the different expectations that we carry into marriage. And we're going to talk about the difference between biblical expectations and unrealistic expectation. Because how many know there are some people that go into marriage with some really lofty expectations. And these lofty expectations, if they're based on something like a rom-com that you saw in seventh grade starring Freddie Prince Jr., then chances are you're going to be disappointed in your marriage. And here's the thing. It's not that we aren't allowed to have expectations in marriage and that God hasn't expected certain things of us as husbands and as wives. It's just important that we understand the right expectations, that we have those in mind. So biblical expectations, we're going to look at eight of those, and these are things that Scripture speaks specifically to. These are verses that have to do with husbands and wives that are addressed to husbands and wives. And then we're going to talk about unrealistic expectations, and these are expectations that Scripture does not speak to. These are things that we've picked up along the way from the culture, things that we've picked up from TV, from Disney princess movies, from This Is Us, and we want our husbands, we expect our husband to be like Jack Pearson, where he's funny and witty, and he's a great dad, and he can rock a mustache, and he knows the exact right thing to say at the exact right moment to say it with a beautiful score playing behind him, right? But that's not a, a, that's an unrealistic expectation. Or maybe you men, you have some unrealistic expectations of your wife. Maybe it's based on Carol Brady or Norma Arnold from The Wonder Years. Or maybe it's based on something you saw from a sinful pornographic movie. We go into marriage with unrealistic expectations. So it's important that we, we talk about both of these. We're going to start, though, with biblical expectations. Are you ready? All right, we've got eight of these. Okay. I'm sure if you've ever been in a marriage series or you've read a book on marriage, uh, you've heard about the top however many needs of a man and the top however many needs of a woman. They're pretty common in Christian and churches when we're talking about marriage. But I want to talk about the top four this morning, and I want you to write these down. Uh, The top four needs of a man are honor, sex, friendship, and help. And then the top four for a woman are security, affection, communication, and leadership. 
Now, I don't know how they come up with this top list, right? I don't know if it's like a family feud type of thing where like Steve Harvey, Harvey is like interviewing a bunch of people and then he's like, survey says these are the top four needs of a man and the top four needs of a woman. And, and typically I don't really like a list like this because I, I feel like sometimes it's stereotypical. But when I look to these top four and then I look to scripture, I see that these top four needs of a man and woman, they are most definitely validated in scripture. Yeah. And that means if they're validated in scripture, that it's our job then to validate these needs and these expectations for our spouse. Good. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down this word validate in the definition. It means to demonstrate or support the truth or value of. If you validate something, you're demonstrating it, you're supporting the truth or the value of it. So here's how this looks in marriage. When I see in scripture that sex is an expectation that Josh should have for our marriage, it's a need that he has as a husband, then it's my job to validate that need. That means that I'm going to demonstrate sex. I'm going to support his need for sex. High five, girl. Instead of making him feel bad for wanting or needing sex, I'm going to validate that need. I'm going to support the truth or the value of it. This is what this looks like when we validate needs in marriage. And these are truths. So we need to support these truths because we see them in scripture, okay? So the first one, this one's for wives. Wives are expected to honor their husbands. We see this in Ephesians 5:24. It says, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives should be subject to their husbands in everything, respecting both their position as protector and their responsibility to God as head of the house. That speaks so much to honor. And remember, that's the number one need of a man. Wives, we are called to respect and to honor the position that God has given to our husband as the protector and as the head of our house. And one way that we do that that we show honor is being subject to them and understanding what it means to be subject to them. Now that word subject at first, it's kind of like, I don't really like that word, right? Because I think of royalty, like, oh, this means he's royalty and I'm just like his royal subject and I must make him sandwiches. Loyal subject. Loyal or royal? royal? Oh, royal? Loyal. loyal yeah. I'm just your loyal subject. There you go. And I've got to make you sandwiches and, and wait on you hand and foot and, and nod and agree with everything that you say. But that's not what this yeah. word subjection looks like. Right. Subjection is not a bad word. Subjection in the context, context of marriage is a beautiful word. Here's what it means. It's made up of two Greek words. The first one is hupo, and it means under or beneath. That's the word sub, like submarine is underwater. Sub-zero, it's temperatures under zero degrees. Subway, it's underground temptation. So we've got under, and then the second word is tasso. And that word means assign. It means to ordain. It means to consecrate, to set apart, and here's my favorite part, to bestow holy orders on. So, so when, it, when, when the Bible says that we're to be subject to our, our husbands, this is what it means. It means we're under assignment or we are sub-ordained. We have been set apart. We have been consecrated. God has bestowed holy orders on us to help our husbands carry out their assignment as the protector and the leader of our homes. It's not that we're under his feet because yeah. we're all equal at the foot of the cross. It's right. not that we are less than. We're not under his feet. We're under his God-given mission. 
ultimately, your husband is the one that's going to answer to Christ for the leadership of your home. He has a greater responsibility, a greater burden to bear, but you are there to help under that assignment fulfill the plans that God has for your family. And when you understand that you're on mission together, that honor will be, will be something that flows more freely in your marriage. So good. Here's number two, the, number one, or the first one for you men. Husbands are expected to honor their wives. Husbands are expected to honor their wives. First Peter 3, 7, in the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives. This, this honor stuff is a two-way street. It's not just a one-way deal here. As a husband, I need to honor that, that, that God has ordained my wife to be in this marriage with me. I need to honor her position. I need to honor that she is coming under my authority and helping me to lead this family and lead this marriage into what it is God wants us to do. We need to honor her. So how do you, how do, you do this? Well, you listen to her. You consult with her. You don't just make every decision on your own, but that you, you recognize that your, your wife is in this with you, that she is there with you in your relationship, in this marriage to help you, to give you direction. She sees things in a way that you don't see things. And, and, and for good reason. God's given you to, this is good. Man shouldn't be alone. You need someone to see from a different perspective. So you need to invite her in and listen to what she has to say and, and, and welcome her in. Listen, you are the leader, men. You're the leader of your home. But God expects you to honor your wife's position, the ordained position that God has given her to help you to lead your home. Amen? Here's number three. Husbands are expected to give up their life for their wives. You're expected to give up your life for your wives. Ephesians 5.25, talking about marriage. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. We're to love our wives in the same way that Jesus loved the church. How did he love the church? He gave up his life for her. Now this speaks to uh, the, the security of your wife. If she understands that you're willing to lay down your life for her, that's going to minister security to her in her life. And when I say lay down your life, I don't necessarily mean like lay down your life like that you die necessarily. Although I do like the way that the great philosopher Bruno Mars says it. He says, I'd catch a grenade for you. Throw my head on a blade for you. I'd jump in front of a train for you. You know I'd do anything for you. I'd go through all this pain, take a bullet straight through my brain. Yes, I would die for you, baby. Now, you know... It's very likely that you're going to have to jump in front of a train for your wife. And if you do, you've probably made a lot of other bad decisions. <laughs> or take a blade to the brain. Like, bad day. But, but the idea here is not that you necessarily have to die like physically, but that you would die to maybe some of the desires and the feelings and the things that you would put above her. Like that you would maybe die, man, to, to that extra hour of video games if you're a man that does that. <laughs> or let me hit home a little bit more. Shots you, fired. Yeah. You would die to, to maybe watching that game. Or you would die to that overtime. Well, but Pastor Josh, that's going to make more money for the family. I'm putting my family first. No, you not. Because, uh, like, really, the priorities are God first, right? And then if you're married, your, your relationship with your wife is number two. And a lot of times we try to justify other things to, to get in the place of those, but you're, you're, you're faking it. Like, those are, those are the top priorities. 
And we would say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die to anything that would try to get in the way and mess up my priorities in that way. You guys tracking with me? Yeah. All right, number four. I'm going to move through this one really quick because next week, this, this, the message is all about this, okay? And Pastor Josh wants you to know it's PG-13, so kids need to be in Boomtown, fours and fives, things like that, okay? Four, husbands and wives are expected... Unless you want to have a really interesting drive on the way home. Right. <laughs> husbands and wives are expected to meet each other's sexual needs in a pure marriage bed. Remember, the number two need of a man is sex. Wives need affection. We're going to talk about this next week, but if you want to kind of get ahead of the game... Overachievers, you can read 1 Corinthians 7 and Hebrews 13 this week to prepare for next week. Okay, number five, wives are expected to provide friendship for their husbands. Okay, pop quiz. Remember in week one, we talked about how God made all the things and everything that he made, he said it was good. He said the trees were good. He said the elephants were good. He said the stars were good. Everything was good except for what? Man to be alone. alone. Good job. Okay, so he said man alone, not good. Now look at this in Proverbs 18.22. It says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So let me put this in in caveman speak for you this morning, all right? Man alone, not good. Man find wife, good, okay? God said it's all good except for when man doesn't have a friend, when man doesn't have the companionship of his wife. So wives are expected to provide friendship for their husbands. I actually read the sweetest study this week, and this study showed that when surveyed and asked who their best friend was, more husbands answered their wife. Most of the wives said another female, but the men, when they were asked... They said, no, my wife is my best friend. I think that is the sweetest thing. By the way, I would have said you a million times over. Uh, Wives, um, your husband needs somebody that he can have fun with, somebody that he can joke with, that he can laugh with. You should have some inside jokes together, right? If he likes to hunt, hunt with him. If he likes to watch World War II documentaries, watch them with him, or at least allow him to talk to you about what he's watching in the World War II documentary for 30 minutes at a time and smile and act like you're interested, okay? He needs a friend. Um, uh, let's see, what else here? Okay, go to bed at the same time he goes to bed. I know some, some of you that doesn't work with your schedules, but if it allows, I think they want you there. When it's time to go to bed, they pat the bed. Go to bed at the same time as your spouse. That will deepen your friendship Um, yes, go on date nights. Those are important. And yes, go on trips. But here's the thing. If you're not making time to connect every day as a friend, these once every five year trips to Hawaii, it's not going to do anything spectacular for your marriage. In fact, it's just going to be awkward when you get there because you haven't been connecting as friends on a daily basis. So yes, date. Yes, do the big gestures, but also every day connect as friends. We have people in our lives that we know that play tennis together. That's their thing. We have people that climb together. We have people that work out together as husband and wife. We have people that walk the neighborhood together. Josh and I are not that active. <laughs> we, we, do, we do our active things separate, right? But what we like to do together is watch movies and eat popcorn and eat candy. Like that's our fun thing that we do together. We connect. We're always watching movies. And so last Sunday, I'm just giving you an idea of what this looks like practically, okay? It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be expensive. We had the best night Sunday night. We got sushi from Sam's Club. We got Ben and Jerry's from CVS. 
We love movies, so we printed Oscar ballads. We recorded the Oscars. We put the kids to bed, and then we stayed up till eight o'clock watching the or till midnight, till midnight yeah. watching the Academy Awards, which is late for us. But we had so much fun, laughing, joking, connecting as friends. Let me tell you, we are always going to connect over work. Yeah. over ministry, right. over kids, yeah. over what we have to do to lead this church because people are depending on us. We, we're kind of forced to connect in that way. But we have to choose and be intentional to connect as friends. So wives, here's the question for you. How can you be a better friend to your spouse? That's good. Here's number six. Husbands are expected to grow up. <laughs> I heard some that's good. I haven't even got into it yet. I just like that. Yes. Good Lord, yes. Okay. (laughs) But we are. And let me just tell you, this is a major, major issue that we see in a lot of marriages that are struggling. Genesis 2.24, talking about marriage. This is why. What is why? Marriage is why. Marriage is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Now, this, this is we're, what we're talking about is meeting the need of your wife in leadership. Yeah. That men are called and expected to, by God, what, what this verse is talking about is abandon some of those immature relationships and, it, and, and immature ways of thinking to man up and be the man of God that you're called to be and lead your family. And a problem that I see often in the church world and in the world in general is there are a lot of people walking around in grown man bodies that act like boys. Yeah. They're very immature because they've never made the decision to grow up. And it's a decision that has to be made by a man. Look at what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish thinking. Paul gives us some insight here into the difference between a child and a man. He says, a child thinks like a child, speaks like a child, understands as a child. A man puts those things away. And notice what he says. He says, when I became a man, I put away childish things. He doesn't say, when I became a man, childish things just went away. Because they don't. And this is a problem in a lot of marriages. Men never make the decision that I'm going to put away some of my immature, childish ways of living. I'm going to quit being a mama's boy. I'm going to quit make it, put in an expectation on my wife to be my mom and then gripe at her when she is. Hello. And I'm going to grow up and act like a man. And this is important. If you want your marriage to not just survive but thrive, you have to make the decision to man up. So let me kind of help you understand what this looks like a little bit, all right? Children, if you think about a child, a child lives only for today. They make their decisions based on the moment, based on the... Whatever's right in front of them, they will eat candy until they throw up if you let them because they're just thinking about the moment. But a a man doesn't do that. Men think about tomorrow, and they live with legacy in mind. Children throw tantrums. They allow their emotions and their feelings to control them. But men are led by the Spirit and don't fulfill the lusts of their flesh or the desires of their flesh. Children are not aware of danger. Children, you know, we've, we've experienced it before where our, our four-year-old son, we were at Disney and he ran off without us and we couldn't find him. And, and we're terrified at this moment because he's just, he's not thinking at all. He's completely unaware. He could lose his family and lose us. He's not thinking about that. Children are that way. 
but men, they, they recognize that there is an enemy in this world who wants to steal, kill, and destroy them. They recognize that they need to stand and protect what's precious and pray over their family and, and stand in the gap for what, they des- for what God has placed in their life. That they recognize that how they live their life doesn't just affect them, but it affects their family. Children are selfish. They'll play video games all day. They'll make messes and expect other people to clean it up. But men serve. They put others above themselves. Children need to be told what to do. Children need to be told what to do. Some husbands, I'm tired. My wife's always telling me what to do. She's always telling me I need to be reading the Bible more. I need to be praying more for our family. Well, do you do it? Maybe she's stepping in and and treating you like a mother would because you're acting like you need to be. Children need to be told what to do. Men take initiative and they lead themselves and they lead their family based on what the Word of God has to say. Husbands, it's time to step up. It's an expectation that, listen, that your wife has of you to be a leader, but it's also an expectation that God has placed on you. But, But in order for you to do it, you have to make the decision. You have to make the decision. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says this. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Say these next three words with me, men. Act like men. Be strong. So good. So good. All right, number seven. Wives are expected to help their husbands. And I'm talking about like, or I'm not talking about help like the help, where you just think that, that we just, just, we're cooks, we're babysitters, we're maids. Um, but I'm talking about a helper like God helps us. Now, yes, your husband does need help domestically. <laughs> we all know they need our help to function, to survive, to find the keys, to, 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 to make sure they're eating three where's square. Where's the mustard? Where, yeah, where's the mustard? Uh, to make sure they're eating three square meals a day. I'm always like, have you had lunch yet? No. Why? It's like two o'clock. Eat lunch. Or he gets home from work. Have you... Have you had anything to eat today? No. That's constant. Okay, so I know they need I was praying help. for the church. Yeah, prayer and fasting. Fasting. Whatever. Lazy. Doesn't want to get up and go get, <laughs> go get up. Go get up. <laughs> Doesn't want to walk to the office and get the, the Where's honor? Let's go back to that one. Was that point one? Okay, so we know they we know that they need our help domestically, but they also need us to help them mentally. They need us to help them spiritually, and they need us to help them emotionally. They need us to help them process through tough things that they're going through. They need us to help them lead. They need us uh, to help them uh, when they fall down, when they mess up. They need our help to help pick them back up. They need our help, uh, and a big way that we can do that is by praying for them. One of the most the most noble things you can do for your spouse is to pray for them. When you yeah. pray for them, you are helping them. In Genesis 2, when Adam said, or God said he was giving Adam a helpmate, that word help there, every time that it's used after that, it's referring to God and the way that God is our helper. So this tells us that, that we are called to help our husbands like God helps us. So good. So think about the way that God has helped you, right? He, he gives you peace. He gives you strength. He gives you stability. He's there for you to lean on. This is the kind of helper that we're supposed to be with our husbands. And the, the fact that the same word is applied to women, that is applied to God, it, it shows us, it signifies that we've been given tremendous power to do good in the lives of our husbands. You are called to be their helper. They need your help. I know sometimes they act like they got it all together and they're big and strong and they put up a front like because they, they, they want to 
portray that they're a leader, but they do need your help. Yeah, husbands, look at your wife right now. Look her in the eyes and say, I need your help, girl. <laughs> say it again like you mean it. I need your help, girl. <laughs> you better mean it. All right, number eight. Husbands are expected to treat their wives with consideration and see her as precious. So we're going to talk about two things here. Consideration and seeing her as precious. The first part of this is, is, being, is about being considerate. Being considerate. Look at what the Bible says, 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Being considerate means that you would put yourself in their shoes from time to time. So Consider their perspective. Consider what they may be dealing with, what they may be facing. It's very easy to consider ourselves. We have no problem with that. But we don't always consider the other person's perspective. I remember God dealing with me about this years ago. I was working at Gateway Church. And uh, if, you, if you work in the church world, you have a lot of meetings. You talk to a lot of people every day. You're having a lot of, you're, you're in meetings and, and, and just talking a lot. And so I would come home a lot of times and I was kind of good. I was done for the day, like talking. I'm good with just not talking. I'm fine with that. Any men relate to this? Sometimes it's like I come home, I'm good. We, we could just be silent and stare at each other and I'd be fine with that. Um, but, but I'd come home and Sarah at this time, she's dealing with our kids who are very little at the time. Gus and Bo were just little. And so she's dealing with, and she's been having conversations, but her conversations are different than mine. You know, she's been using words like boo-boo and poo-poo. <laughs> and she's been wiping other people's bottoms and reading Dr. Seuss books. And so, yes, she's been talking, but she has not had much of an adult conversation today. So I come home, and it would feel like she just sat on the couch beside me. I was like, how was your day? Let's talk. And I'm just kind of like, I'm good. We can, let's watch TV. And, and the Lord just dealt with me one day. He was like, hey, suck it up, buttercup. Like, you may not want to talk, but she needs you to talk. You, you need to communicate with her. This is a need for her to communicate. So, so I need to, what that means is I got to turn off the TV, and I got to listen. 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 Like really listen to what she's saying. Like and not like really listen. And, and when you're listening, as you're listening, like listen. <laughs> you get me, guys? I'm trying to get this across to you because we don't listen. We we don't. So listen. And as you listen, you begin to anticipate the Exactly. Needs. As you're listening, then out of that, as you're listening, you start to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you too. You're listening for her, but you're also listening to the Holy Spirit to, to guide you and to help you to anticipate some of the needs that she's facing so that you can help her in her life. Like, like as you're listening, you're going to hear her talk about maybe tomorrow she's got a really busy day. So the Holy Spirit will say, hey, why don't you take the kids to school for her to help relieve her? Or maybe you're hearing her talk about you know, a friend that's been, that's been driving her crazy or some situation. And you can just tell, you know what, she needs something special. I'm going to go get her a, a gift card for a mani-pedi or something like that. But you're going to anticipate her needs and you're going to serve her needs. And then here's the second part of that is you need to treat her like she's precious. Treat her like she's precious. Proverbs 31, verse 10. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. She's worth far more than rubies. Now, this is not saying you objectify your wife to like a pile of diamonds or rubies. What this is saying is that you see the value in her. You see the worth in her, and you minister to that worth in her. So, so here's what that looks like. It's this need that she has 
to receive non-sexual affection. And I know what some of you men are thinking right now. Is that a thing? (laughs) Yes, it is. As crazy as it sounds. Like she needs that. She needs you to to give her a hug and give her a kiss and and to to speak to her and and tell her that she's beautiful and that you love her and you value her, her, the way she thinks and the way she sees stuff and you just, you minister to her and treat her like she's precious. It's a biblically based need that she has that God expects you to fulfill for her. Okay, so I know now that we have just biblically validated these needs and these expectations for marriage that you're thinking, yes, like I can now expect this from my spouse. They heard it. Now I can hang this over my head or over their head. But that's not what this is about, right? In fact, if you were listening to to those points and you were paying more attention to what your spouse is expected to do instead of what you are expected to do, let me tell you what you need to do right now. You need to go ahead and flush down that spirit of entitlement that's trying to rise up. And you need to focus more on what is expected of you than what is is expected of your spouse. Good. Okay? That's what you need to focus on. Don't worry about what they're doing. Don't worry about what they're not doing. You focus on what is expected of you. You become a master of those things. I'm telling you, you begin to do that, you'll begin to see fruit in your spouse. We got to put away childish things. Our kids, every Saturday morning, they have to do chores. And every Saturday morning, I'm having to tell one of them, don't worry about what Bo is doing. You just do what what you're supposed to be doing right now. Just don't get distracted looking at their chore list. You do what's on your chore list. You'll get it done. You'll get your allowance. You can go play basketball or whatever it is that you're wanting to do. So the same is for us. Focus on that list. Think about it and do it with a cheerful heart. Yeah. Do it like it matters to God because it does. Yeah. How you treat your spouse and how you fulfill your expectations as a spouse, it, it matters to God. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about some unrealistic expectations that we sometimes bring into marriage that cause a lot of problems. All right, here's the first one is we have an unrealistic expectation that I can expect my spouse is going to make me happy. That my spouse's job in our relationship and our marriage is to bring me happiness. Now listen, I'm not saying that your, your spouse should make you unhappy. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be uh, a way that you receive some joy and some happiness. It's just that they're not the source of your happiness. The Bible talks about the joy of the Lord being your strength. God is your source of true joy. And he may funnel some of that joy and some of that happiness through your spouse, but they cannot be your source of happiness and joy. But a lot of people go into marriage thinking this. And we think this because that's how we start off in relationships. You know, you meet somebody and you start getting to know them and you feel good and they make you happy and there's chemistry and you get infatuated with them and people see you guys together and they, they're like, what's going on? And you just are like, they just make me so happy. And, and so we take that and then we base, you know, the, 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 the outlook that a lot of people have in this world, which is that like everything is about the pursuit of my happiness. And so we take those two things, we mesh them together and we come to believe this lie that in marriage, that other person in my marriage is supposed to be bringing happiness and joy to me. And the other side of that is, and I'm supposed to be bringing joy and happiness to them. This is a very unfair expectation to put on yourself. Listen, no human person can live up to your level of happiness. They just can't do it. And if you are trying to be that for them, if you're putting that burden on yourself of I'm going to source your joy, you are being very unfair to yourself. 
That's an unrealistic expectation. God is our, our source of joy. God is the one we turn to to receive happiness and joy and fulfillment in those ways. Not any human person. So we got to put away that way of thinking that some other person's job in, in, my, in my relationship is supposed to make me happy. Here's the second one, unrealistic expectation a lot of people have, is that marriage should be easy. And marriage is going to be easy. If it's right, it'll be easy. A lot of people think that if it's, if it's right, if I've married the right person, then it's going to be easy. And, and so what they, because of this expectation, what they come to believe is they, they, they start to see the hard work that's necessary to marriage as a sign that maybe we're incompatible. Maybe I married the wrong person. And so, they, and, and because of that, then they'll abandon and they'll quit the relationship because they're believing this lie that the enemy's trying to throw at them. And so we we got to get over that kind of stuff. Listen, in marriage, you're going to have to fight and you're going to have to work for your marriage. You're just going to have to do it. It's going to come up. There's all sorts of things that are going to play against your marriage. For one, you're going to enter into different seasons in marriage. You're going to always be facing seasons. Ecclesiastes talks about for everything there is a season and a purpose for every time under heaven. Uh, for everything. Does that include marriage? Yes. Absolutely. In marriage, you're going to face seasons. You're going to have... Seasons of, of financial burden. You're going to have seasons of health burdens. You're going to have seasons where you're, you're dealing with disappointment. You're dealing with loss. There's going to be seasons that you're going to have to work through with your spouse. But on the other side of that, there's also an enemy that's working against you in marriage. There really is a real devil. He really does exist. He hates you, and the Bible says he wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. And he hates your marriage because your marriage is supposed to be a, a, an image of the love of Jesus for the world. And so he's going to do it. He hates God. He hates you. He's going to do everything he can. And so you may say, well, marriage shouldn't take work. Well, I'll tell you who's working on your marriage. The devil is working on your marriage. And so you better buck up and start working too. Because if you don't, he's going to separate you. He's going to infiltrate, and he's going to destroy your marriage. And one of the ways he's going to destroy it, he's going to come to you and he's going to say, hey, this is way too much work. This is way harder than it should be. And because it's so hard, you guys, you married the wrong person and you need to, you need to quit on this. No, 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 no. Marriage takes work. But let me just tell you this, it is well worth the work. Me and Sarah have a wonderful marriage today, but it's taken a lot of work. We didn't just luck into being compatible. We've had to work through seasons. We've had to work through, through problems. We've had to work through attacks of the enemy against our marriage. But we've worked with God. Yeah. We've worked submitted to the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, as that's the book for us. <laughs> and we've worked empowered by the Holy Spirit. And because of that, God has helped us to have what we have today. And I wish you all had a marriage like we have today because it's wonderful and it's worth the work. Amen. Okay, we're going to close with this one. Number three, I can expect my spouse to be my God. Now, before you dismiss this and are like, yeah, no, I'm good. <laughs> I've never expected my spouse to be God. They are far from perfect, and <laughs> I am far from perfect. This isn't an issue for us. I'm not talking about uh, expecting your spouse to be perfect like God or holy like God. I'm talking about when you expect your spouse to meet needs in your life that only God can meet. This is how God designed you. Every human has three basic soul needs. We have a need for acceptance. We have a need for identity and purpose. And we have a need for security. And if you're expecting your spouse to meet any of these needs, if you're looking to your spouse for acceptance, for identity, purpose, for security, 
It's unfair to them because they can't do these things. And it's also unfair to you. If you're looking to them and it's impossible for them to give you these things, then you're coming up short change too. So where do we look? If you're, if you're expecting your spouse, your husband, ladies, to meet your need for acceptance, if earning his acceptance is more important than living in the acceptance that you've already been given, you're going to burn out. Yeah. You're going to be on an emotional roller coaster. If you need him to accept the way you look, the way you cook, the way you think, the way you parent, if you are waiting, living and dying, if he's going to give you that compliment, if he's going to accept the way that you did that, if you're waiting for him to affirm that in you, and your joy goes out the window if he doesn't, you're going to be living in a very empty place. Yeah, it's good. But God has already given you acceptance. And if you will live there, if you will live full, knowing that he accepted you before you stepped out of bed this morning, that he accepted you before you brushed your teeth, that he accepted you before you made that meal or did that with the kids, whatever it is, he's already accepted you. If you live there, you live full. You live in a place where you can give instead of in a place where you are constantly taking and pulling on your spouse. Are you trying to find your identity and your purpose in your spouse? Hear me, if you identify more with with husband, wife, mother, father, than you do with son or daughter of God, you need to really get in God's word and you need to study who you are in Christ. And here's why. As husbands, what happens if you lose your job? But you've been finding your identity and purposes. I'm a provider for this family. and I've got to take care of this family. And and that job goes away. Now who are you? And what is your purpose? Everything gets shaken, right? If if you're, uh, you're married, but you're not just a wife, you're a daughter of the Most High God. Listen, your spouse can't meet your need for identity and purpose. It's in Christ, in Christ alone, that we find out who we are and why we are. What's your identity wrapped up in? Is it in your spouse or is it in God? And then the last one, security. Now, this is interesting because the wives, number one, need a security. So I think wives are going to tend to struggle with this, and they're going to look to their husband as their source of security. Sure, your husband can provide security for you, but ultimately, your source is God. And, and it doesn't matter if a husband loses a job or if a husband messes up, if a husband looks at pornography and your whole world is shaken, if... Your world is shaken if he's your security, if he's your source. But if God is your ultimate source of security, then it doesn't matter what they do. You're secure in Christ. I love the scripture about Sarah that says she did what was right without fear of what her husband may do. This shows us that Abraham uh, was not her source of security, that God was. She did what was right. Didn't matter what Abraham was going to do because ultimately God was her security. So you need to take that pressure off your husband's wives where where you're looking to them as your source. God is your source. Yes, your husband brings home a paycheck. Yes, he's leading your family. But the word says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. God's going to take care of you. You are secure in him. Your spouse can't be expected to do what only God can do. And I want to close today with my favorite passage of scripture from Ephesians 1. And I love this because it's a reminder of what we can expect from God. And it's a reminder of what he has already lavished on us. And I went ahead and I personalized this text for us this morning. I replaced all the us's with me's. Ephesians 1, 3, it says, every spiritual blessing 
everyone, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon me. Not will be someday, not will be when I'm good enough, not will be when I'm wife enough or mom enough or dad enough or husband enough, but it already has been lavished upon me as a love gift from my wonderful heavenly father, the father of our Lord Jesus, all because he sees me wrapped into Christ. Hello, identity. This is why I celebrate him with all my heart. So every gift's already been given to you. Well, what are these spiritual blessings? Let's keep reading. Ephesians 6 through 12. It says, long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had you in mind, had settled on you as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt you into his family through Jesus Christ acceptance. He has already accepted you. Long ago, he chose to adopt you. It goes on to say what pleasure he took in planning this. It was fun for him to choose you, to adopt you. He was excited about it. He took pleasure in it. He wanted you to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. He thought of everything. Listen, if you struggle with security, He thought of everything. He provided for everything you could possibly need, letting you in on the plans he took such delight in making. God is a planner, and he let you in on these plans. And his plans for you are good, and they're perfect, and you can be secure in him. He set it all out before you in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. Everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth, It's in Christ that you find out who you are and what you are living for. Identity, purpose, identity, purpose. It's in Christ, not in your husband, not in your wife, not in your future spouse. You're waiting to find your purpose in this man that you're waiting for right here. God says it's in him that you find out who you are and what you're living for long before you first heard of Christ and got your hopes up. He had his eye on you. He had designs on you for glorious living. He's so good. (laughs) Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. In just six verses, we see that our, our soul needs for acceptance, purpose, identity, and security. Six verses we see. He's already taken care of all these needs. He's lavished these things on us. He's already given to them. So stop looking to your spouse to meet these needs. It's impossible for them to meet and and start leaning fully into God. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We help you today? We got some homework for you. Hopefully you've been doing your homework. Here's your homework. It should be in your notes today. Married couples, go back, study the expectations for your role. Think of the way you can better fulfill each one of those expectations. For example, if you're a wife, what is one way you can be a better helper? Or if you're a husband, what is one way you can better honor your wife? Start with one thing in each each point. One thing. Master that and then think of another thing. Okay? Don't don't try to overwhelm yourself. Share it with each other. Uh, Here's the second thing. Married couples, release your spouse from any unrealistic expectation Verbally tell them what you've been expecting from them that isn't biblical and let them know that you're releasing them from those healthy expectations. Unhealthy. Yes, unhealthy expectations. And then the third one, this is for everybody. Read Ephesians 1, 6 through 12 every day this week. Read it in different translations. Read it out loud. Remind yourself of every spiritual blessing you have been given. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord, we love you today and we thank you that we find everything in you. Thank you, Jesus, that you made a way 
so that we could live and move and have our being in you. And so, God, we, we repent if we've put our expectation on anybody but you to meet our needs and to, to be our God. And we say that you are the God of our life. We enthrone you on our heart and in our minds. We choose you over everyone else. And Lord, I thank you that as we do, you're going to bless our marriages. You're going to help us to thrive in serving each other and meeting each other's needs and, and being who it is you've called us to be in our marriages. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.